Hello, Covey Clubbers and reinventors. I love this next story because I love the fact that it often can be that your reinvention is a surprise to you. And what I love is Beth Bangston was trying to reinvent herself and find somebody to run a group that she thought was really important for giving visibility and help to women's, women's groups out there when they needed it from profitable corporations. So if you are a profitable corporation and you need to do something good for the world and you wanna focus on women's groups and women's issues, who is that segue between the two? So she created Working for Women and they are the people that hook you up and try to help you figure out how to do good in the world for women. And what's hilarious, and this is so common to women, is she was out there searching for someone to run this group um, and trying to find the right person to head it up. And it wasn't until she got herself a coach, and it, apparently it was obvious to everybody else, was that she was the one who should have run this group because she's the one who had the passion. She's the one who understood how it should work. She's the one who understood the way it should work. And yet when it came to being a leader, she thought that her definition, this is a quote from her, my definition of leader is everything I wasn't. Somebody charismatic, outgoing, sales and business development driven. I'm more introverted and behind the scenes. And I think that happens to a lot of women is we think this must be somebody else for whatever reason, because our definitions don't fit. So I love the fact that Beth found her way backwards into the work that she totally loves. And it's called Working for Women. And she started out as a photographer. That was not her original tra trajectory. And as she said, she thinks that reinvention is a journey. And it totally is. And sometimes you back into it. And I think that's a wonderful lesson for all of us. So here we go with Beth Bangston. So welcome, Beth. I'm so glad to have you today. I'm so excited to be here. So I want to talk a little bit about your background. Um, and let's start with that. I always like to find out how people get into what the heck they're doing, because a lot of us back into it um, backwards, <laughs> right? Yes. You know, it's, it's funny that you, you start off there. You know, whenever anybody asks me, and, and I get to mentor people entering into the workforce now, I realize, you know, your career is a journey. It's not yes. necessarily, it, you know, I think it's more rare that you find the person that had a direct line um, yes. to what they were going to do. The um, mine started off with actually deciding I was going to go into photography. And realizing as I followed that journey, 
of from more of an artistic standpoint that one of the pieces of advice I got from a photographer was we don't need to teach you the camera we you need to know how to run a business and that started me on the journey of entering more from a business side more so than a creative side and then trying to find out how I could bring both those pieces together as I move forward in my professional world did you actually work as a photographer in the beginning what did you study in college so when I first went to college, I, um, I started off studying photography at the Fashion Institute of Technology. I was going to go in and um, have a career as a photographer. And the more I worked in the field, the more I realized it was my passion and not necessarily something at that time in my life I wanted to pursue on a daily basis. So that led me into more looking at kind of the other side of my brain and how I could operate in the business world. And what was that? What did you end up doing? So this was at the point that kind of the dot-com world was emerging. And I, and I backed into ending up doing a job coming into a dot-com company. And at that point, everybody thought that, you know, building websites was a, a technical solution and that it was, you know, more from a tech job and what we really realized and what we've seen over time is that it's really a marketing and communications job in terms of doing stuff in that digital space. So that was a way of, and when I look back on it, I realized that was where that creative and kind of that logical and business started coming together for me. So were you building websites or were you just doing the marketing part for them? So we went in there and we were building websites, but no one really realized at the time that, that really that was marketing and communications. Um, it was always being brought in by the IT departments and large corporations to put up this thing that needed to be on the, on the internet so that people could find it but, and find the company. But people weren't really realizing how many people were online and that this was going to be a key way of communicating in the future at the time. So what exactly did you do? Are you technically savvy? Do you know how to build websites or? Um, I always say I know enough, at least in this environment that we're in now with WordPress to be dangerous. I came in more on the project management and the client management side to help them identify what they wanted to build and to ensure that it met um, the goals of the organization. So more from a, a client management standpoint. So where did you grow up? So we have some idea of your background. So I grew up in the Hudson Valley, actually not far from where I currently reside. Um, younger, when I was younger, I tried as far and as much as I could to get as far away from here, only to realize that the Hudson Valley in New York State is not such a bad place to live. So funny how many people I'm meeting who are coming back to the places they ran away from. There's definitely a story <laughs> on that. Down here in, in New Orleans, we're seeing a lot of that. So let's talk about, so you were doing all these sites and you were doing marketing and communications for them. And then what happened? And then what happened? Um, the dot-com. So I guess, I guess as we go through this, there's been a couple reinventions in my life. The dot-com bust happened, and I was left to start rethinking through what I wanted my life to look like. And I remember very specifically coming back from a trip and having my, my manager at that point, I was in a leadership position in a, in a internet a website company at the time, before we realized it was marketing comms. And 
they said to me, you're going to have to lay off your staff. You're going to have to sit here and figure out what we're going to um, need to do. We need to downsize everything. Um, and I thought, well, I don't know that this is the work I want to be doing. And if I'm going to have to do all of those pieces, I maybe it's time for me to rethink about what I'm doing at that point. And that was probably one of my first transitions at that point of, of realizing I was very unhappy in what I was doing at that per particular time. And if I was going to be doing, and luckily I was single and didn't have any other responsibilities. So it was an easy time to kind of make a transition. So I had, I left and then took some time off and traveled to determine where I wanted to go next. And what happened? That led me to when I kind of basically at that point started um, working for myself and came back and did independent contracting. There was a real need in the industry for people that had digital experience and really understood how to build digital properties. So I was able to hire myself out to large corporations um, and help them in kind of their evolution with marketing and communications. And then did you keep your business through having a family or was there a change up at that point? So now we're the thing through timeline. Um, I actually ended up at the end of that transition was when I met my husband and I almost kind of think about it as a second phase of my life beginning, right? Coming out of that single and then going into more of a um, managing from a family and kids standpoint and navigating career though still retaining and being an independent contractor for a number of years but it was during that phase that i really realized i that business could be a force for social good and i started looking at ways that i can incorporate that and support that in the work that i was doing so what kind of things did you do that showed you that um, i ended up taking a position um, as a as the vp that my job title was positive impact but it was really the vp of corporate social responsibility in a marketing firm at the time it was one of the first times that a marketing company had started trying to think about corporate citizenship and bringing that to life and bringing that like a values-driven approach into how they were running the business and how long were you there so that is the interesting part of that especially for the time that we're in right now um, that was right before the what is now being deemed the Great Recession. So it was 2007, I believe I had that position. And then in 2008, we went into the Great Recession. And at that time of where business was, um, this was not necessarily sustainable. That it was a nice idea that businesses and, and kind of doing more of that standpoint of corporate citizenship. But when and a lot of companies were professing people, planet, and profit, but very hard when the profit and the financial bottom line was getting hit in the companies to keep with the other P's. And so what happened? So, oh, so yeah, I guess. Uh, so I was laid off during that period. And then what'd you do? And then I went back to doing independent contracting again, and then trying to figure out how I could bring this theme of corporate social responsibility um, more into my day-to-day -day work and more into my work with my clients. So is that what you do now? What is, what is the company called? And is that um, the sole course of what you do? 
So interestingly, as this whole period went on and I kept trying to, and I knew I had a passion for, for helping businesses kind of bring the concept of corporate citizenship into their work. I continued on the road though of really working with clients around marketing and communications and how best they could use digital communications to advance their purposes. Um, and my reinvention into what I'm doing now and, and in the company, which is called Working for Women, now kind of came through a backdoor in a way. I always had a belief that there was this organization that needed to be developed that could help businesses and make it easier for businesses to give back. And, but that it, you needed someone else to help guide you in that direction on a daily basis. And I had um, the belief that, that this organization needed to exist, and, but that I needed to find the leader that could run it out there. I didn't see myself in that role as a leader. Um, in order to, as someone that could actually run that organization and, and build it. Plus, there was also the piece of, you know, being willing to walk away from my career at that point and what I had built up to that date. And so did you find out it was you? Was that the big surprise? So, yes. <laughs> as one of my board members said, your reinvention was a surprise to you as we were talking through this recently. Yeah, I did not go into the, organ the organization that I now lead was not, it was not in my plan to be the leader of it. It was in my plan to find the leader of it um, and have them build it. I would, I would be the ideation person behind it and, and hand it over to the right person. I started working with a business coach at the time to formulate the idea and bring the idea to life. Um, and that business coach right at the beginning challenged me with why couldn't I be the leader of of said organization. And I had a whole host of reasons. I had really good um, rationale for why I was not the person to, to lead this organization. And immediately she challenged that and challenged my concept of a leader. Um, and then put me through a process that forced me to understand that the only person that didn't see me in a leadership role was myself. Now, is that just something particular to you or do you think that's particular to women? It sounds awfully familiar to me. You know, <laughs> I think about how many calls and even with board members that I have for, with women and how many women I listen to that I now hear them say exactly what I said three years ago, which is I'm a really good number two. I'm really good at organizing and getting stuff done. Um, I'm not the person to be the face of the organization. Um, that's not my role. That's not a place I'm comfortable. And I, and I listened to them and I think that was exactly where I was three years ago. Right. And, and not that there still isn't those days that you, you still question, but I think it's more common than not truthfully. You think that it's just women don't imagine that they can do these kinds of things. I mean, do you have a sense of why you didn't see yourself in that role? Or were you just being overly kind of, you know, what, self-deprecating? Or <laughs> do you think, I mean, do you, do you think there was any validity to it? Or is it just that we're taught never to raise our hands for the things we really want? You know, I think there could be a mix. You know, you asked at the beginning kind of that career progression. And I don't think I ever had 
a real clear, I mean, now I do, but I think, you know, this has definitely been a journey of getting here in different life lessons. I also had a definition of leadership. I don't know where it came from, but when I was challenged to define what I said, what I thought was a leader, my definition of a leader was everything I wasn't, right? Um, so when someone would say, well, you're a leader, I'd be like, no, no, I'm not, because I didn't fit that definition. And that definition of a leader was someone that's very charismatic, someone that really likes to get up and, you know, talk in front of groups of people, um, very outgoing, you know, much more of kind of a sales business development um, type of person. And I consider myself much more on that introverted, behind the scenes, you know, really good person to operationalize things, um, very good at getting things done. And that wasn't how I, I defined someone who was leading an organization. Do you, did you look at that as being male versus female, or do you think it was just personality typing? I think for me, it was more personality typing. Um, I grew up in a household where there really wasn't any gender discrimination in terms of roles. You know, if my father was doing something, the expectation was whether it was changing the oil on the car to going outside and, you know, doing construction projects or something like that, that I could be right there alongside of him. So I think it was more personality type and looking at, you know, maybe, maybe even leaders that, I, you know, people I thought that were good leaders out there. And I had to broaden that definition of what, what a good leader is. So let's talk about what your group does and where we are post COVID. Let's talk about mm -hmm. working for women, what that means, what yep. you've done, and then where are we going to be set up post-COVID? Because you and I are both concerned about this. Agreed. So working for women works with businesses. It's, it, you know, where I said before, it's been a journey getting here. I feel like starting working for women has been the culmination of all of my work experiences to date. Like, and probably not something I could have envisioned early in my career as being the place that I would be now. Um, so we work with businesses to bring their re business resources, their time and skills, as well as dollars, to nonprofits that are working to help women enter and stay in the workforce. Um, and we are working specifically with those organizations that are working to help marginalized women and girls um, gain access to the workforce and have, and have what they need. Our role, though, is to make sure those business resources are applied to those nonprofits in a way that help those nonprofits grow their capacity. Our interest is if we help the nonprofits out there that are doing the work and, and working on the front lines with the women, that if we help them grow their capacity, that means they can reach more women. And the one piece that has been so eye-opening to me of coming in from kind of the business side and entering more of this nonprofit world is how little investment in this country we geared towards women. And that's regardless of at what level. Even when you start looking of people that are already in the workforce or on the career ladder, and you look at the resources that are going to women at that level, it's low. And, and women entrepreneurs, when you look at the number of, of the dollar figure for venture capital, it's, I, we might be pushing 3% of all venture oh, capital. It's horrific, it's horrific, horrific, and it has not moved. We and get then, nothing. we get nothing. 
exactly. So just think about that. And those are women that have skills and in a lot of cases are going off and, and have the place to be able to start a business and the money's not flowing there. When you look at philanthropic dollars, it's even more dismal along those lines. So while we know, and it's been proven again and again, that investment in women and girls is one of the best investments you could make because those investments not only translate into them, but they tend to bring, they bring it into their families and they invest in their families and that's gender diversity there because women aren't only raising girls and they invest back in their communities. But yet those dollars are still not um, there to make those investments at this point. And you asked me, you know, at the time of COVID, if anything, you know, since March, I think what we've seen is the impact even more on those groups. If anything, I think it's raised awareness even more so of the plight of many families in this country. So give us an example of what you mean. Like, can you cite exactly, you know, what kind of function you have performed and what kind of little marriage you've performed for a company? And so we have an idea of that. Yeah. Um, so we, and I'll talk about it from the skill side because we come at it from two different ways of one where we can take money and invest into organizations. And then the other side of it is um, the piece that I've really seen has so many benefits on both sides, both for the nonprofit, both for the women and also for the business, which is the skill-based volunteering. So what we'll do is we'll work with a company, really understand and any level of company. We work with solo entrepreneurs up to large corporations and sit with them and really understand what their business skills are. There's a, lot of biz there's a lot of volunteering being done by businesses, but that isn't always necessarily um, that, though, that they're really thinking through what their skills are. They might be going off and cleaning a park or, or doing things that bring people off on a, on a volunteer basis. When we talk about skill-based volunteering, we're talking about thinking through the skills that that company has. So like in one case, we are working, one of our members is a recruiter. And so what we worked with her was to develop a LinkedIn overview and resume building session that she did for the women in one of our nonprofits to really understand how best to market themselves, especially during this time. So in that case, we're looking at what skills and expertise that she has and then bringing that in as a content area to one of the nonprofits. In other cases, um, we've worked, we, one of our nonprofit partners knew their website wasn't working to the level that it could be. So in our partnership with one of our, um, with one of the companies, they have a user experience team. So we brought the skills of that user experience team to that nonprofit to help them really sit down and take a look at how their digital properties were working and whether they were meeting the needs of the stakeholder groups that they were trying to reach and then come back with a series of recommendations on how they could improve that. Again, that goes to building that capacity because if we help them make their communications more effective, that's gonna to lead to more donors, um, more girls getting involved in the programming, more organizations getting in and supporting them with the programming, which is gonna to lead to better outcomes with the girls that they serve in that case. Does that help? Yeah, so basically if I have a for-profit company and I want to have my have myself steered in the right direction and have my volunteering from my staff steered in the right direction, I yep. come to you. Is that right? Correct. 
Okay, cool. Awesome. So let's talk about what's happening post-COVID, though. Are you seeing this kind of, this idea of even giving out any free labor? Are you seeing that dry up? Are you seeing more, <laughs> you know, more emphasis on it now that we've had, you know, racial awareness and gender awareness and all this stuff going on at the same time? Or are people retrenching? What What's really happening? You know, it, it, it's interesting when we started when March hit right we were just in the process of starting to scale up and I and as we sat and I talked with my board at that point I was like okay well this is going to be really hard to get businesses involved and really thinking about social responsibility during this time right because everybody's in crisis that said we have facilitated more skill-based volunteering projects since March than we probably have since inception because people are working remotely and especially at the beginning part of this when everybody was was more locked down in their houses there was a real desire to give back and be able to participate and help people I think a lot of people were feeling really helpless you know being at home and being told that the main thing you could do was stay at home um, so that became a great outlet for people to, to be very willing and and looking for ways to engage. And we also saw with some of the businesses, they were looking for ways to keep their employees engaged and, and be able to bring together teams that were now remote on projects that um, they could work collectively on. So there became a real business benefit also at the same point while doing good for society. Well, that's amazing. Is it continuing or are you seeing that, was that just a big burst in the beginning and now people are scrambling for other issues? Nope, it is definitely continuing. People, I think, you know, and I try not to be, I try to make sure I'm not going on too much of a lens of optimism, having gone through the the last time around when we had the Great Recession and watching kind of how the field of corporate social responsibility kind of took a step back. I really feel like as we build, um, as we come out of this time and we look at ways to build back better, that this is going to be intrinsically even more important to businesses as they go forward. How about for women in particular? I'm, I was very hopeful that women's issues this time forward, if we're going to build, you know, from the ground up, that women would have a good ability to participate from the very beginning, instead of the old way was, well, there's this old establishment and you guys yep. have to constantly hammer your way into everything. Do you see any of that going on? I'm unfortunately reading in the news, it sounds like women are being hit harder because we're, people are sliding back to old gender roles, which is, oh, well, you have to stay home and take care of the kids if there's going to be homeschooling. So, you know, the man will go out and work. I mean, what are you seeing? So unfortunately, I echo exactly your concern as we're going through this. Like in the beginning part of this, as we first got into, as COVID first happened and you started seeing all the numbers coming out and people were really focused on who the essential workers were and the realization of so many of the women that were in those roles, so many of the essential workers are women, right? And, and in a lot of cases, single mothers raising families and and, and working multiple jobs, right? And trying to navigate this whole world. Um, and now, as the longer that this goes on, I think we are at risk of, 
of backpedaling on every level, whether you're more on the lower end of the spectrum of the workforce or you're on the higher end, because I think we are all trying to figure out how do you navigate all of those multiple roles on, on a daily basis. Um, we used to be able to segment that out a little bit more, especially when kids, when you knew kids would be going to the school during the day. And are you hearing that from any of your clients yet, or is this just what you're reading? You know, what we're seeing from a client standpoint is just the job loss. Um, you know, a lot of the nonprofits we work with are definitely working with women in more entry-level jobs, and that's been, um, and lower paid jobs, and there's been tremendous job loss along those lines. So I think the economic focus is tends to be even more critical of where they're focused um, and, and challenged, right? And then you take on top of that having to try to figure out how you're going to take care of your kids during the day, even if you do get a job. So looking back, as we come to a close here, Beth, if somebody wants to do what you did, there are going to be a lot of women um, who are either forced out of their jobs now, are forced into downsizing, forced into taking huge salary cuts, which means that reinvention might be a possibility where it wasn't mm -hmm. before, things like that. What, you know, one or two pointers would you give them if they are thinking, okay, I really would like to go out and do something that's for the greater good instead of what I've been doing, which is now totally unsatisfying and maybe doesn't even pay what it was going to pay. Right. Um, what are your sort of practical tips and tricks that you would tell your best friend? And she's at a master's level, no 101 here because we've, we've covered all that ground. <laughs> what would you tell someone like me, you know, like, Okay, if you're thinking of this, do this, don't do that. So, interesting question. I, you know, whenever I talk to people, and especially women, um, at whatever point they're in their career, the one piece I have always had at every transition point in my career has been a coach. Different coach each time. Um, for me, it's, and people always question, you know, should I, should I spend the money on the coach, especially if you don't have a lot of money at that point, um, especially if you're out of your job. It has been the best money I have spent in my career journey because having that outside objective, your friends and family are great, but having that outside objective voice that can help you think through things and just present you with a different opinion is invaluable um, in the process of thinking through any transition. And then I think for me, the other key piece and that I've learned this this time around and, and getting started with working for women was just being willing to ask people. You know, the first thing that the coach I had this time around had me go out to do was just realize how many people I had in my professional life that were willing to support me in that transition and were willing to sit there and listen. You know, we think so often, and I've seen this, you know, women, if, if someone asks you for help, you're more than willing to raise the hand. But the one thing we don't do, I think collectively, is turn around and ask other people for help and ask them to spend some time with us. And I think that, is, that has been the biggest piece that I've probably learned in the last couple of years, that, that that's okay to do and it's invaluable to do. 
It's interesting you say that also about coaching. I was very skeptical coming out of corporate about coaches. And I was like, how do you find a good one? And yep. how do you know if they're any good? And they're so expensive. And who are these people? And, it, you know, coaching in many ways, um, in my opinion, just from the onslaught of people, you know, basically it looks like the new real estate, you know, it's yeah. like, okay, <laughs> you know, you don't know what else to do. You'll be a coach. And yep. um, I have to say I've gained a huge new respect for coaches and coaching. And I have seen Covey Club has gotten very involved with some reinvention coaches who you can really see when you're ready for movement. Yep. They really know how to move you forward. That's very good advice. Thank you. And um, I think asking for help is a, I think that's a, I think it's really a female thing. We're not, yeah. you know, we're, we're good at giving help, but we're not good at asking for it. And I've seen some people who are, you know, incredibly successful. They can sit there and uh, spout off 20 different contacts for people who need help. And then when the focus comes around to them, I've been at working sessions. It comes, everybody's supposed to ask for something and everybody's supposed to give something. And I've actually seen, these are like VC investors who start to cry. <laughs> I mean, yep. It's so hard to ask. And yet when you do ask, you do get the help you need, right? 100%. Um, I remember being at a conference and they act, and it was a conference of all women business leaders, probably about 200 of us in the room. And it was the point that it was kind of my wake up call. And they said, how many of you in this room are willing to help someone if you're asked? And every hand of every female in that room shot up. And then they said, how many of you actually have ever asked someone for help? And I would say less than a quarter hands went up. And this I thought, incredible. there's your, there's the piece, right? Like I've got to start learning to ask because there's, we're all willing to make yes. that time. Yes. No. Do you think men ask more than women or it's just nobody asks and we're particularly in need? I don't know that men ask for help. They can't even ask for directions. Okay? <laughs> Right. So, I don't know if it's for help, but I think from a business standpoint, you know, they might ask for your business. Yeah, they'll ask for, or they'll, or if they're looking, you know, I'm watching my husband right now actually reinvent himself, and he has no qualms about going off and sending notes off to people and saying, "Hey, do you have a few minutes for me? I'd love to run something by you." Yeah, that's that's the ask that we'd be we would be like, oh, why does why do they want to spend time with me? That's right. So, you know, yeah, okay, right. Yeah, he it. just does it naturally without even a second thought. Right. It's taken me a good portion of my career to be like, hey, I can just send a note off, and you know, I think there's sometimes that fear of rejection though too, yes, right? Of like that they, and I don't think I don't think men suffer from that quite as much. Well, and I, the way I put it to everybody I know today, which is things are so crazy right now that if they say no, they're never going to remember three years from now that they said no, <laughs> you know, they're yeah. so busy. They're so distracted that, you know, go after them. Even if you don't get your first answer, just send a note again and say, did you see this? Cause they might not even seen it. I've, I've been with people who say, well, I never got an email back. It's like, send it again. Cause maybe yep. they didn't get it. I don't get half the stuff people send me. So anyway, Beth, thank you very, very much for your time. I so appreciate it. I love hearing your journey. I know that there are people out there who are seriously considering how they're going to move into this other area, especially post-COVID. And I think you're a great inspiration for that. So thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for the time for this conversation today. 
So thank you all for joining us on Reinvent Yourself with Leslie Jane Seymour. And I'm Leslie Jane Seymour. If you don't know by now, I am. And I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Beth. I love the fact that she says using a coach really mattered for her. And I, I, as I say, I came around to the idea of coaching for the right people at the right time. It really gets you movement. I think that's a really great way to go, especially if you need outside visibility on what you are doing. And I hope that if you enjoy this, you will subscribe and listen to the hundred other podcasts that we've done, episodes. And also, I hope if you like what we're doing here to help women reinvent themselves, you'll wander over to coveyclub.com. Look at all the great events we have. We have virtual, we have live when those come back online. We have fabulous content that's original. You won't find it anywhere else. And we would love to have you as a member and join us on coveyclub.com. We also have a private app where we get together and talk. Um, and we now have a book club that we've just started. If you're interested in some good intellectual repartee with smart women, and there's a guy or two in there too, um, come join us there on Covey Connect, which is our, our uh, app that we have. So hope you'll join us. And if you like this, I think um, if you would pass it along to friends who need help, because that's our whole goal is to show everybody they can reinvent themselves because we really believe it is a journey and everybody can do it. And hopefully you will get some inspiration and some tips and tricks from everything we offer. So thanks a lot and we'll see you next time. Bye.